You're listening to Dystopia Radio, presenting radio plays of a future with warnings. Hello, this is Clyde J.K.L. with a brief reminder. Mystery Play Internet Radio is listener-supported, so I encourage your monetary support with a donation today. Please visit www.mpir-otr.com and click on the donations page. A one-time donation of any amount will be greatly appreciated. Again, that's www.mpir-otr.com. And thank you for listening to Mystery Play Internet Radio. Tales of Tomorrow Tales beyond human imagination Until they happen Tales of Tomorrow, story number four. The Other Now, by Mary Leinster. This is your host, Omentor, saying hello for ABC. Look at your watch, but don't take it too seriously. If it's a few seconds after 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, in California, it's three hours earlier. In London, it's 2 o'clock tomorrow morning. And in Japan, it's almost tomorrow afternoon. What time is it right now on the planet Saturn? A silly question? I wonder. The point is, time is a clock with many faces. Your time is not necessarily anyone else's. And what we think of as the present is only relative. Let's prove that thesis with a remarkable tale from Galaxy, the science fiction magazine. A most timely story titled, The Other Now. My name is Hal Haynes. I was Jimmy Patterson's best friend, which is why he dared tell me the story you are about to hear. I'm speaking into a recording machine, the tape to be played back only after my death, for reasons that'll become obvious as you listen. First, you've got to understand that Jimmy and Jane Patterson loved each other like no two other people I ever met. That's important to the story. It all began about a year after their marriage. They'd been to a party at my apartment and started home about two in the morning. Darling. Hmm? 
Nothing. <laughs> well, what's so funny? <laughs> you. The way you always stick out your jaw when you're behind the wheel. It's kind of cute. Now, I resent that. A man is attractive, handsome, virile, compelling, but never cute. Darling, you're all those things. And cute. Jimmy, that truck in front of us, what's that long pole sticking out behind it? it looks like a steel girder. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh. See the red flag? Pass that truck, please. What's the matter, huh? I don't like driving behind that thing. It makes me nervous. All right, here we go. Jane, brace yourself. What? The truck's stopping short. Air brakes. Jimmy, we're I know I can't stop. Jimmy phoned me from the hospital. When I got there, the doctors told me about Jane. Death had been mercifully swift. Jimmy was sitting on a bench in one of the corridors, his face buried in his hands. Jimmy. Jim, it's me. Did they tell you? Yeah. What can I say? Oh, hell, she's gone. She's gone. I know. It happens so fast. A freak accident doesn't make sense. I know. Listen. Anything I can do. One minute she was beside me alive and the next minute... Hell, why did it have to happen this way? Why couldn't it have been me? The next three months were bad. At first, I feared Jimmy might do something desperate. But soon, the torture of being alive while Jane was dead slacked up until, from an intolerable agony, became a dull, ever-present ache. The worst moment was coming home from work to the empty apartment. So Jimmy arranged always to have the cleaning woman there. It was better than nothing. On the night the thing really began, Jimmy came home from work with the usual hopeless ache in his heart. Putting the key in the lock, he thought, if only Jane were there to meet him. If only by some miracle. But there were no miracles, he knew that. He unlocked the front door, opened it, began to walk in. And crashed against the door. It was closed. He just opened it. But it was closed. Jimmy's first impression was that his brain was playing tricks on him. Had he really opened that door? It seemed to him that he had, but in his confused state of mind, he couldn't be absolutely sure. He unlocked the door again. Or was it again? Opened it and walked into the apartment. The cleaning woman, Mrs. Mooney, was in the living room. Hello, Mrs. Mooney. Oh, Mr. Patterson. How do you feel today, sir? Fine, thanks. You didn't sleep again last night, sir. Of course I did. When I came in this afternoon, the bed was still made up, just as I'd left it yesterday. I fell asleep in the armchair. Please stop checking on me, Mrs. Mooney. I don't want you to think of it that way, Mr. Patterson. But you haven't been yourself since the Mrs... Well, what I mean is, I'm worried about you. There's nothing to worry about. Anyone phone while you've been here? Mr. Haynes called. What did he want? Said he hadn't heard from you for a couple of days. Want you to call him back, sir. Thanks, I'll do that. Anything else? Yes. I, I found this carton of cigarettes in the Mrs. desk. Those are Jane's? Yes, sir. Must have overlooked them when I cleaned out the desk. What should I... Throw them out. Oh, no. No, just a second. 
put them back in the desk. All right, sir. Before you do that, Mrs. Mooney's, there's uh, something I uh, want to ask you. Did you hear me come in just now? Yes, sir. Well, did you notice if I opened the front door once or, or twice? Why would you open the door twice, sir? I don't know if I did. That's what I'm trying to find out. Did you hear the door open twice? I really couldn't say, Mr. Patterson. Oh, think back. Try to remember. Well, you did open it twice, sir. Are you sure? I think so, but maybe I just imagined it. You don't look so good, Mr. Patterson. You ought to take a nap before dinner. I'm all right. No, you aren't. I think... Please, Mrs. Mooney, stop fussing over me. Just leave me alone. Jimmy took sleeping pills that night. When he finally drifted off, he dreamed of doors that were open when they should have been shut and shut when they should have been opened. During work the next day, the peculiar incident of the night before was the back of his mind. When he came home that night, he opened the door carefully, wondering if it would be repeated. It wasn't. He hung up his coat and sat down in the armchair. Wearily, he filled his pipe and struck a match to it. As he dropped the stub of the match into the ashtray. What's this? Cigarette stubs. Jane's brand. Freshly smoked. Mrs. Mooney! Mrs. Mooney! You want me, sir? I certainly do. Mrs. Mooney, who gave you permission to smoke my wife's cigarettes? What's that, sir? What right did you to smoke my wife's cigarettes? But I, I... I didn't do anything of the sort, Mr. Patterson. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, right here in this ashtray are half a dozen of... Per- They're gone. Gone? Cigarette butts, they were in this ashtray a minute ago. Now they've disappeared. Couldn't have been nothing in that tray, sir. I emptied all the ashtrays when I came in. But I saw them. Or did I? What's the matter with me? Or is it me? Was he losing his grip? In a grim sort of way, the thought made Jimmy feel almost cheerful. During the day, work was a godsend. Sometimes he was able to thrust aside for hours the fact that Jane was gone. Now, in the same way, he grappled with the question of his sanity. When Mrs. Mooney left for the evening, he went to the desk where Jane had kept her household accounts. He'd set the whole thing down on paper, examined it methodically, checking all the facts. He was about to do so when he noticed Jane's diary on top of the desk. For a moment, his mind stopped, his brain reeled. Jane's diary, what's it doing here? I thought I'd locked it in the trunk. I know I put it in the trunk. He sat there, staring at the diary. It couldn't be on the desk. He'd locked it in the trunk, but there it was. With trembling fingers, he thumbed through the pages until he reached the last entry. September 26th. September 26th, today's date. But that's impossible. How could this have been written today? Jane's dead. And yet, that's her handwriting. Feeling like a sleepwalker in a nightmare, he began to read the entry. As he scanned the lines, it was as though Jane's voice was in the 
morning, I went to the cemetery. It was very bad. Three months since the accident. Time doesn't make it any easier to bear. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy, I miss you so much. Jane? I'm developing a personal hatred for chance. Chance, luck, whatever it is, it's not an abstraction anymore. It was chance that killed Jimmy. It could have been me instead or neither of us. Standing over Jimmy's grave today, I realized that. And it was almost more than I could stand. She's alive. She wrote this. She thinks I'm the one that's dead. Taking a pen, Jimmy began writing desperately under Jane's entry in the diary. Jane, where are you? I'm not dead. I thought you were. In heaven's name, where are you? After that, Jimmy's mind went blank. When he came to his senses again, he was sitting in an empty desk. No diary on it, and no pen between his fingers. Where is it? That diary, where is it? Oh, I must have dreamed it. Fallen asleep in the chair and dreamed it. No. No, it was here. I can swear it was here. I wrote an entry underneath Jane's. Or did I? Am I imagining things? I've got to find out. There must be some way to get to the bottom of this. next morning, Jimmy bought a small camera with a flashbulb attachment. That night, when he came home from the office, he had the camera ready. He unlocked the door and opened it. Then, before he walked in, he put out his hand and struck wood. The door was still closed. He stepped back, quickly aimed the camera at the door, and snapped the shutter. The glare of the flashbulb blinded him for a moment. But when he was able to see again, the door was open. You, Mr. Patterson? Yes, it's me. I thought I heard something. I, uh, I was just taking a picture. A picture? Look, Mrs. Mooney, are you finished with your work? I thought I'd just get the laundry together and take it out with me. Let that go until tomorrow. Good night, Mrs. Mooney. Jimmy waited impatiently until the cleaning woman was gone. Then he moved the film in the camera and put in a new flashbulb. Walking to the desk, he hardly dared to hope the diary would be there again, but there it was. Open, with a ruler across the pages to keep it so. He saw yesterday's entry and his own message. And beyond that was more writing in Jane's hand. Jimmy, darling. When I opened the diary today, I found a message from you. As though you were alive. I... No, that can't be. It's all imaginary wish fulfillment, and I'm crazy to answer you, but please, darling, if I am sane and you are alive somewhere, tell me where you are. With all his being, Jimmy wanted to write his reply, but he was afraid to spend the additional time. He aimed the camera at the diary and pressed the shutter button for the second time. The diary. It disappeared again. Where did it go to? Where did it come from in the first place? What's happening here? Wherever that diary is, that's where Jane is. 
I've got to find her. That's the story Jimmy told me. I'm a lawyer, trained to take testimony. I mention the fact because I want it understood that I have not colored the story in any way. I've told it exactly as Jimmy told it to me, flatly and baldly, without any attempt to make it sound reasonable. As Jimmy said... Well, that's it, Hal. That's exactly how it all happened. But look here, it's impossible. I don't blame you for feeling that way about it. I'd say the same thing. If I didn't have evidence to the contrary. Evidence? You mean those uh, photographs? That's right. Let me have a look at them. Sure. And there's the first one, the shot of the door. Looks like a double exposure, doesn't it? Hmm. We got two doors here, nearly at right angles. Both hung from the same door frame. Here's the second shot. If you look close, you may be able to read Jane's handwriting on the page of the diary. Yeah. Jimmy, darling, when I opened the diary today, I found a message from you. As though you were alive. Well, Hal, do you still say it's impossible? Yes. But, Hal... Jim, I'm your friend. You believe that, don't you? Sure, I do, but you can't... Now, there's a perfectly logical explanation for these incidents. Not a pleasant explanation, but the only one that makes any sense. Now, that door opening and closing, Jane's cigarettes in the ashtray, you saw all that because you wanted to see it. You made it up, not consciously, but out of your desperation. Now, you had to believe that somehow, somewhere, Jane is still alive. I do believe that, Hal. But, man, can't you see? You're kidding yourself. If so, how do you explain the photograph of that door? Trick photography. You covered half the film and exposed with the door closed. Then you exposed the other half of the film with the door open. Maybe an expert photographer could do that, but I never even owned a camera until yesterday. Look, you followed directions when you took those shots, didn't you? Yes. Well, then you must have been following directions when you took that trick shot of the door. Okay, okay. But how do you explain the second photograph? The one with Jane's handwriting. Now, you were Jane's lawyer. You'd recognize her handwriting, wouldn't you? I suppose so. Look at that photograph. Isn't that Jane's handwriting? Looks like hers, but it could be a forgery. Forgery? But who would want to forge? You would, Jim. I would. That's right. Now, I had a client once, a girl. She accused a man of beating her up. She was absolutely sincere. She really believed it. But her own family admitted that she'd make the marks on herself. And the doctors agreed that she'd unconsciously blotted the memory of doing it out of her mind afterwards. You think I forged all this unconsciously? But what other possibility is there? Remember the accident, Hal. Now, we came up behind that truck. When we skidded into it, the girder could have hit me or Jane or neither of us. What does that prove? It was pure chance that Jane was hit. It could have been me. If it had been me, Jane would be living in the apartment. She might very well have written that entry in the diary. Isn't that so? What's the point? The point is this. There are a lot of possible futures. When today was in the future, there were a lot of possible todays. The present moment is only one of any number of presents that might have been. Now, that night before the gritter came to our windshield, there were three possibilities. One in which I was hit, one in which neither one of us was hit, and one in which... Well, you do see what I'm getting at, Hal. Are you really suggesting there's more than one present? That in some other present, Jane is alive and you're the one that's dead? That's it, Hal. Some other dimension in time or space through which Jane and I had managed to communicate. But, but how? Well, it's beyond me, but 
there must be some scientific explanation. Oh, Jim, you aren't serious. Why not? Before the atomic bomb exploded, all reasonable people said atomic energy was preposterous. Every new discovery, every new step forward is preposterous. Until it happens. I couldn't shake Jimmy's argument. After he left, I tried to decide on some course of action. Treat him as insane? But he was my friend. Besides, his delusion wasn't dangerous, not even to himself. I decided to wait for developments. One evening, about a, a week later, Jimmy and I had dinner together. He seemed to be in good spirits. He looked over the menu. What are you going to order, Al? A uh, steak. Me too. Well, what's new, Counselor? Well, I was about to ask you that. Have you, um... Have you had any more communication with Jane? Oh, sure, we write each other notes every night. And by the way, I was right, Hal. Jane agrees there is more than one present. Now, in the present I exist in, Jane was killed. But in her present, I'm the one that's dead. Oh, look, let's not get into that again. Well, I don't mind uh... talking about it. Now that I know Jane's alive, life is bearable. Matter of fact, there's only one drawback. Only one drawback, huh? What's that? Well, now that Jane and I have found each other, we'd like to get together. Someday we hope to be able to bridge that gap. Isn't that rather far-fetched? Oh, no. Now sometimes when Jane and I are writing notes to each other, both of us can, can feel the barrier between us wearing thin. Once it seemed to me that we actually touched hands. But I wasn't sure. Jim. Oh, Jim. What's the matter? Oh, Nothing. Go on with what you were saying. I let him go on, describing what he wrote to Jane and what she wrote to him, and how they both yearned for the time when the barrier between them would disappear and they'd be together again. That continued for several weeks. Then one night, as we were sitting in the park... Al, remember what I told you about the barrier wearing thin? Sure, yeah. Well, Jane and I were pretty close now. I'm almost certain I saw her in the living room last night. Jimmy, She disappeared listen. before I could get to her. If I could only put my hands on her, if I could touch her just once. Jim, you've got to stop this. What? Do something about these hallucinations. Hold on, Hal. Don't you see they're progressive? It started with seeing notes and cigarette butts, and now you're seeing people. You're trying to tell me I'm losing my mind? No, but I think you ought to have a talk with a psychiatrist. With the proper treatment, those hallucinations would disappear. But if you don't get help... this I thing... don't need any help. There's nothing wrong with me. My contacts with Jane are not hallucinations, and I can prove it. Oh. Look, Hal, didn't you have a near accident on the parkway last night? Didn't a car coming around a curve on the wrong side of the road almost smash head-on into you? Wait. Yes, it did. I almost went into the ditch trying to get away from it. How did you know that? Jane told me. Jane? She said that in her time channel, a crash killed Tony Shields. You, you mean Tony Shields was the driver of that other car? That's what Jane says. But it's impossible. There, Jane doesn't lie, Al. Why don't you check with Tony? That you, Tony? Yes. 
This is Hal Haynes. Look, Tony, there's a little thing that's been bothering me. I'd like to ask you about it. Were you driving your car on the parkway last night? Yeah, I was. You sure it was last night? Well, sure, I'm sure. Why, what's up, Hal? Well, did you almost run into another car coming around that curve near Hawthorne? Oh, that's right. Oh, say, Hal, how'd you know that? Uh, Hal, are you still on the line? Did you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I heard you. I was the driver of the other car, Tony. Well, I'll be hanged. Talk about a small world. Say, Hal, I owe you an apology. I was on the wrong side of the road. Must have scared you half to death. Yeah. Yeah, you certainly did. I'm sorry, Hal, but uh, there's one thing I don't get. It was pretty dark last night. How'd you recognize me? Well, I, uh, wasn't quite sure. That's why I phoned. I hung up, feeling dizzy. Jane had told the truth. But Jane was dead. But if she was dead, how could she know about Tony Shields and what happened on the parkway? It made no sense, no sense at all, unless Jane actually existed in some other level or dimension. But that was nonsense. Sheer nonsense. Still, I had to talk to Jimmy. I dialed his number. phone rang a number of times. I was about to give up when... Hello? Jim, this is Hal. I got to talk to you. Not now. I'm very busy. But this is important. I just spoke to Tony. Please, Hal, hang up. All right. I'm coming over to your place. No, you can't do that. I don't want you here now. Hal, Jane and I are very close. The barrier's getting thin. Paper thin. We've touched each other again. When did this happen? Just now, before you phoned. We're hoping... Hoping and praying that the time barrier is about to break. But it can't. What would happen if you turned up where she is or if she turned up here? I don't know, but we'd be together and that's all we care about. Oh, but Jim, listen Shut to me. She's... She's here. What? She's come through the barrier. Here in this room. I see her. Jane, is it really you? Who else would it be? Hello, darling. Jane. Jimmy. Jimmy! He'd hung up on me. I dialed his number again. The phone rang and rang. No answer. I gave up and tried to figure it out. That woman's voice I heard over the phone... And I actually heard it. Was it Jane? Or was I becoming affected myself? I had to know. I went to Jimmy's apartment. I rang the bell. It kept ringing and ringing. No one answered. I tried to open the front door. It was locked. The back door was locked, too. The windows were shuttered. There was no way to get in. I tried to phone Jimmy the next morning. No answer. I called his office at noon. He hadn't been there. Finally, I went to the police and talked to Detective Thatcher. Thatcher and a couple of patrolmen went to the apartment. They forced the front door, got into the place, searched it, and found nothing. I was in the living room, smoking a hopeless cigarette, when Thatcher came to me. 
All right, Mr. Haynes, let's have it. Uh, have what? Now, this is a joke, ain't it? Certainly not. Now, look, mister, you tell us you're worried about your friend. We come here and find every door and window locked from the inside. Nobody here, nothing. Well, what's a gag? How did he get out of the apartment and still leave all the door and windows locked from the inside? He didn't disappear into thin air, did he? What could I say? That Jimmy had escaped into the other now? That he was alive on some other level or dimension of existence as yet unknown to us? Thatcher would have taken me straight down to the psychiatric ward. I said nothing. The police dragged ponds and rivers for Jimmy's body. Put out missing person bulletins and so forth. Eventually, it was recorded that Jimmy left town. And everybody accepted that obvious explanation. I'm the only one who knows what actually happened to Jimmy Patterson. So I'm setting this down for the record. To be placed in my safe deposit vault and open only after my death. You can't blame me. Would you care to spend the rest of your life in a, a straitjacket? it. The Other Now by Murray Leinster. Thanks to Galaxy, that wonderful science fiction magazine now in the stand. And next week, another extraordinary tale of tomorrow out of Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine called The Stars Are the Sticks by Theodore Sturgeon. A tingling drama sure to send your imagination spinning out beyond the moon to the man-made planet called Curbstone, the rendezvous of tomorrow's adventurers. This is your host, Omentor, and remember, we've got a date next week, uh, our time. Tales of Tomorrow. Heard in tonight's play were Lawson Zerby as Haynes, Dick York as Jimmy. Raymond Edward Johnson was your host. Music composed and conducted by Bobby Christian. Script adaptation by Michael Sklar. Produced by ABC in association with George Foley and directed by Clark Andrews.